You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 2070s.com and Express Magazine, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined today by my co-host, Annette Hinkle, who is the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Our distinguished panelists this week are um, our regular Denise Civiletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Beth Young, editor and publisher of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Good morning. And Chrissy Sampson, deputy managing editor of the East Hampton Star. Good morning, Chrissy. Hello. So, um, Beth, uh, you you had a story um, this week about Riverside revitalization. Um, I know that there was some movement at the um, at the town board level. I think uh, we had a story about it too, um, regarding the um, uh, proposed and long-awaited sewer project for for Riverside. What's uh, what's the latest with that? Yeah, this uh, this project has been uh, talked about for many many years. Um, it's really necessary in order to do any kind of redevelopment in Riverside, which is the like if you're going through downtown Riverhead and you turn uh, yeah, down, <laughs> depending on which direction you're coming from, you turn toward the traffic circle across the river and the traffic circle across the river is like the heart of Riverside. Um, and there's one big office building there and everything else around there. There's like a couple gas stations and one abandoned gas station and um, a lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, older houses that have been there for a very long time that are um in a commercially zoned area but it's um been very and some, and some dilapidated businesses as, as well yeah. yeah so there's been uh so there was this plan that was adopted back in 2014 actually like right before christmas eight years ago that's 20 anyway eight years ago right before christmas um they uh they adopted this plan and then Everybody, there were hundreds of people who came to all these meetings, were all excited about the redevelopment of Riverside. And then uh, they needed sewers in order to make any of this happen. And then eight years went by and they were talking about trying to do something where they could hook up to Riverhead, which didn't come to pass. And now they're um, they're hiring an engineer and putting together a map for a sewer district. They've got funding in line to build a sewage treatment plant in two phases. Um, in the uh there's an industrial park uh off of Flanders Road behind the Suffolk Federal Credit Union branch there. Um so uh this was an old like town that was an old town PDD, I think, right before yep. where they got rid of the PDDs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um so uh so there's a public hearing on the environmental impact statement for that on December twelfth. And uh there's a lot of movement at the moment, and we'll see if this momentum continues. Do, do we believe it? Do we believe there's actually anything going to happen there? I mean, they have been talking about it for a de- well, they've been talking about it for more than a decade, right? I mean, and 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 meanwhile, you know, Riverhead has has done a nice job of developing their side of the river. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can I, I? I'd like to like jump in here because, yeah. um, well, for one thing, I mean, like the major major problem with this. I mean, the sewer district and the sewer the sewage treatment plant is really important. And the town, they can't do anything, as you point out, without that. Right. So but they, they have they've done a lot of work to get there to this point. I mean, they've acquired properties that they they're doing this um, kind of like wetlands recharge area so that there's no direct discharge to the r- river water, um, which is how Riverhead um, basically you know handles the wastewater. Yeah. So, I mean, like they've done a lot of work. They've collected a lot of monies. Right. I mean, they've collected a lot of funds, but they still need more. Right. I mean, like, I don't know what the current tally is, but it's a very expensive proposition. Can I ask you what the plan was for the revitalization of Riverside? I've never been clear on what the sewage treatment plant will allow them to do and what they want to do to improve that whole stretch? Um, well, uh, in order to get the septic, in, in order to build large buildings, you need to have have um, a sewage treatment plant. Just the Suffolk County Health Department won't let you build 
on, on the kind of scale they're talking about without some kind of treatment of the sewage that's going to be generated. And I think they, they've talked mostly about, you know, commercial enterprises, right? Oh, okay. I mean, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. So they're not looking at maybe putting in a pedestrian friendly. They are. They are. They are. are they? Okay. That's um, they're talking about mixed use development in the, yeah. in the nature of like okay. high density, multifamily apartments and, mm -hmm. you know, with commercial uses on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, that's why the proposal for a new 7-Eleven gas station at that one of at that dilapidated gas station over in the Circle was such a, a big bone of contention in the community because they were like, that's going to kill our pedestrian friendly, you know, plans and stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah. but like, I, you know, they've still got a long way to go in terms of money, but there is money out there. And so this is looking more and more real. And. You know, I, I mean, I kind of feel like it would be a great thing for Riverside, obviously, one of the most like depressed, you know, hamlets in the county. Um, and I think it would be a great thing for downtown Riverhead. But Riverhead town officials don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and they have been um, making some noise about that. Um, and um, what what's you know, what what's the issue they have with it? Well, um you know, I, you know, I'm not sure that they're being completely above board in what their actual issues are, let me say. But, um, you know, they're 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 talking about impacts to, you know, they've built all these apartments. So right. and they're continuing to build apartments. So perhaps there is concern about a glut of housing. I don't know. Perhaps there is concern you about have it somewhere around here. <laughs> perhaps there's a concern about having too many rental apartments and perhaps there's a concern about the kinds of people that might move in, into them and live there and things like that they're talking about uh you know impacts to the school district and they are pretty much acting like from what i've been hearing in terms of meetings that are going on sort of behind the scenes unfortunately but you know they're kind of like their their demeanor is kind of like this is all news to them. Like, you know, yeah. when in fact, you know, as you pointed out, Beth, there was a lot of process leading up to the adoption of the plan and then the adoption of the zoning. Yeah. And the town of Southampton went through all of the proper procedures with, under Secra and you know the GEIS and the hearings, and they it was a pretty pro public process for a long time that the school district in fact participated in and that and, and just to just to be clear i mean while it is southampton town um flanders and riverside are in the riverhead school district in the riverhead i'm sorry yeah confuses some district. people you know and and the, you know riverhead officials don't like that i mean you know they've said things like well they should, you know southampton should take it take that take that area back to their school district like I, you know Stuff that's like borderline nonsensical. We reported on that last week. But yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, Riverhead, I, I know that Riverhead was asked to participate in the committee that, um, you know, drew up this plan. They were asked, you know, they were offered a seat at the table. And I can tell you that Riverhead did not take advantage of that in, when that was happening eight years well, it, ago. It just makes sense that, I mean, they... You know, the two towns like share it. the river and, and for all intents and purposes, it, it's one one kind of commercial area. It's divided, obviously, by, yeah. um, you know, geography, the two towns. But, it, you know, it, it would have made a lot more sense for everybody to come together and, um, you know, and work, work for the two towns to to work together to develop that whole area as a whole and make it really, you know, a, 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 a pretty and, and successful development, and I and I think again, Riverhead's done a nice job on on their side, but um, you know it's kind of a little late to to come in and complain and uh, that Southampton wants to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, and I feel like it's really narrow minded and short sighted because, like you know, I as that's going to bring up downtown Riverhead. Like there's this there's this artificial boundary, this legal boundary between the two communities, but. Realistically, it's the same community. I mean, you know, right. the Riverhead schools, Riverhead, Riverhead ambulance and um, not Riverhead ambulance, but Riverhead fire department, 
serves Riverside. Um, it, they've got a Riverhead post office, uh, zip code. You know, I mean, it's one community and people move back and forth. I mean, you know, it's really kind of silly. It's a silly and arbitrary distinction. And I, I've always felt that, you know, the more the two towns can work together on, you know, rehabilitating that area and, and bringing it up along with downtown Riverhead in the town of Riverhead, the better off everybody's going to be. And yeah, I, how do I you think leaving, that, leaving that untouched helps the Riverhead side? I'm not sure. I it, understand. It, it certainly does not. It certainly does not. So what their actual agenda is at this point, I'm not too sure, but we will try to find out. <laughs> As always. But what it, again, it looks like the town is is starting to move forward. And I think there was some county money there too that was just recently yeah, five million uh, highlighted. Um Steve Steve Ballone uh came out to the area and did a press conference. And it was like five million dollars, I think, for yeah. For the sewer, which is a drop in the bucket for what it's going to cost altogether, but it's a, it's a good start, right? But they've gotten a lot of other funds too, right, Beth? I mean, I don't have yeah, the they got some, they got I think they got five million in federal funds yeah. last year, and uh, they do have uh, no interest financing loaned up uh, lined up from the uh, Empire State Development Corporation. State, yep, yeah. So I mean, um, it's starting to come together. Yeah. We'll see. Um, it's what but, they said ten years ago, but <laughs> yeah. Right. But essentially, I mean, the the what the what the zoning plan is basically it's an it's an overlay zoning district that allow if if you agree to certain conditions like building mixed use uh, uh, and workforce and senior housing and hiring local labor and making some green initiatives in the building, you're allowed to build a little bit more, particularly in the area around the traffic circle, and then the density gets lower in like six concentric circles out from there. So that's kind of what the initial plan was. They had come up with a pattern book too, if I remember right. Yeah. So, of, which is still confusing. The whole idea of pattern books still confused me. I know <laughs> that they, they tried to do that in Sag Harbor and they're and they're doing that now in Hampton Bays, but I'm not I'm not a hundred percent clear on what 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 that all involves. Uh, I guess it gives people a guideline for 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 development it's pretty much design standards more than anything right. else i think it you know what things should look and feel like how you know um build like trying to avoid kind of like we went through this in downtown riverhead just like the boxy you know which we've got some of already this like boxy you know facades you know stepping back on the second on the third story up stepping the building back a little and developers resist that kind of thing because it affects their like overall floor area that they can build and the you know but it's i think it i think it's an improvement and didn't they do i think they did that in hampton bays too right yeah they, they just approved a new a new yeah. pattern book i guess this past week so um but it has hampton bays residents kind of <laughs> um not not thrill i there, there's a there i guess there's two camps in hampton bays one that's really concerned about um development there and you know and, and another that um that is a, a little nervous because you've got you know one developer um uh Keola who had bought up a bunch of properties there and how that's going to be developed but it's the same issue they need the sewer district before they can do any redevelopment of main street and and the and the park area and um you know, we've seen this across the the East End. You, you talk about redevelopment and developing main streets and business districts, and it all comes down to septics and and sewers. And and, and this would be a good time to like interject that the county has not moved forward on the the countywide sewer district that the state authorized, right? And that would bring money to projects like this, along with the private septic. So. Right. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Nobody seems they, to know. They needed a public referendum and uh, yeah. missed their opportunity this year. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to get a straight answer whether or not they'll be able. This the law allows them to do it next year, even like a good point. Yeah. Nobody right. seems to know. Now, can I, I ask? Know. Has any developer put forth a concrete vision for? Is this just all theoretical that developers will want to come in once there's a sewage treatment plan? I'm just wondering if there's anybody lined up to actually in, do in Riverside there. In Riverside, yeah. yeah. 
Um, there was a, a group called Renaissance Downtowns that worked on the initial plan with them that was going to develop about 10 acres in that area um, in the hopes of sort of spurring other developers to get involved. Um, I'm not sure what their commitment is at the moment, um, but that was their initial commitment. Hmm. So. so we we shall see. Yeah, to be um, continued, undoubtedly. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully, like not, hopefully for not another eight years. But but likely. <laughs> well, it's gonna it's gonna take time, but it's nice to yeah. see them moving forward, and there certainly seems to be uh, a commitment at, on the town level or Southampton town level and, and county level, anyway. So so we'll see. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. Uh, my co-host is Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Sampson from the East End Star. I'm going to go back to you again, Beth. I know that uh, that you wrote about it. We wrote about it, too. The, um, the commission looking at how... Um, LIPA is formulated and and whether it should um, be a public utility or not. This has been a discussion that's been going on for a, a few years. Um, um, issued a report in, in the past week or two that um, that affirmed that that there should be a public utility um, that that should be run by LIPA itself and not PSEG, if, if I'm correct. Um, and that could save some ratepayers um, like you and me some some money. Can you um, give a little history of, of um, how how we got to the current configuration of LIPA and PSEG? And it had to do with the Shoreham plant way back. That um, I, I I I don't have. I don't have the what happened in the eighties down a hundred percent, but yeah, the the there was Lilco forever, right. uh, the Lion Lighting Company, and when the the whole mess happened with the Shoreham nuclear power plant, they created this new entity called LIPA, and LIPA owns all the transmission lines. It um, has a board that makes decisions, but it contracts all the operations of its business and the billing and all that other stuff to PSEGE Long Island, which is who you get your electric bill from. Um, and this is the only setup like this in the country. And uh, State Assemblyman Fred Deal has really been critical of this for, I guess, probably since he's been in office, I would imagine. But um, but he's one of the chairs of this commission that, um, that these state legislature uh, formed after this storm called Isaias came through, I believe, two years ago in the summer. Um, and PSEG's response to that storm um, left a lot of ratepayers pretty upset. Um, People were that were without power for, for a, a week. It was like a, yeah. it had been a bad hurricane, but wasn't. Yeah, it was just, there was some freakish wind events that were kind of localized that really... Um, took down a lot of trees and took down a lot of power lines with them. And it took a long time to get the power back on. And uh, so between that and, um, and uh, I believe there was another storm as well, but anyway, the, um, the commission was formed and they've been uh, doing a lot of research and they really believe that ratepayers could save money. Now, now whether the money will actually be returned to ratepayers, if this goes back to being authorized by LIPO, We'll all have to wait and see on that, um, but they could they could have like a I believe a fifty to seventy uh, million dollar per year uh, uh, savings if they got rid of PSEG Long Island. So that's what this commission found out. They have to they have a state legislation to make it happen. That's part of this report. That's like a draft legislation that would be introduced when the state legislature comes back in January. Um, so we'll see if that goes somewhere. Um, it's up to the state again. Um, so, so for 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 you and me, for everybody here, I mean, the savings wouldn't be huge. I think they were talking, you know, 30, 40 bucks a, a year in savings. But a, a lot of it's just more about local control. Right. I mean, there would be a reformulization of of the board. And, and I think um, right now there's not a lot of membership on that board from um from 
mm-hmm. you know, from the, from the East End or from from the local towns. Long right? Island, even just Long Island in general. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There will be a community stakeholder board um, as part of this. So there's the the board, and then a, a um, I believe I, it's like twenty or so members. I'm, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to figure out how many members on the community stakeholder board. Quite a few community stakeholders, and the way they're the way they're chosen will be um, much much more um, in the hands of lo- local officials. So, if this happens, it could be good, um, and uh, we'll see. It's up to the legislature. Well, and I think it's important now when when we're moving toward more more green energy and the wind farms and. Um, um, you know solar solar energy and all that just to have more more local control and i guess um you know the 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 buck would would stop with with the public if if there's a you know a storm and 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 responses and and all that um you know and again i mean you noted that that fred thiel's been 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 pushing he's been so critical of of the current um, set up and 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 light board that um, <clears throat> that I think that you know he's gonna he's gonna try to push this through through the state, but I don't know if there's going to be any blowback or not because the, you know the state's been at control of LIPA for for a while now. I guess we'll see what happens. Well, I mean the 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 good thing about it from the perspective of um, seeing some potential changes, you know, this this only affects Long Island. It doesn't affect upstate, so I don't know if it would be in upstate legislators' interest to vote against it. Um, they don't really have a dog in the fight. Yeah, except PSEG has been throwing a ton of money, I think, in in lobbying. Oh, is that? <laughs> state official million millions of dollars, I I think. So. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens with that. It always um, comes down to that, doesn't it? <laughs> it always does. It comes down to, yeah. to who's who's um who gets a voice and how their money pays for their for their voice. Um but I have confidence in in uh in Assemblyman Thiel. He's um you know he's been pushing for this and I think it's a good step forward, um positive step that that this report was um was was released and and it should be you know should be in local control yeah and and the the way the the way the legislation is set up the union workforce that does the actual work on the power lines would be retained so that's all members the, of the pseg employees yeah they're 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 actually employed by a separate llc um Are they? i believe yeah so servco llc which is like a contractor to um PSEG Long Island would become a contractor to LIPA, I believe. So, so, um, so what exactly does PSEG do? <laughs> they administer. They send the bills. <laughs> they make the money. <laughs> they make the money. So, yeah, so that union workforce would still be the same IBEW union workers. Okay. Let's um, let's let's pivot east a, a little bit. Chrissy, you... Um, you had a story about the uh, the the Springs School District um, finally trying to um, make life a little more affordable for teachers' aides there, and that and it's been an issue that um, has been ongoing for for a well for a while, but I, I think vocalized for a few months now that that the aides have been coming to to school board meetings complaining that they weren't making um, anywhere near a survivable let wage, right? Yeah, and I'm not sure they are now, even <laughs> after the changes. So um, after months of listening to the teaching assistants um, say, you know, we we have we do all the grunt work, we have the hardest job in the school, um, we are the one-to-one, you know, aides for the special education kids, we do bathroom trips, we supervise recess and drop off and pick up, and um, they're there at 7.30 in the morning, and they're there until 5 o'clock at night. and their their salary the starting salary was like just under $24,000 a year for, which is under what for a full for time, a full time plus benefits but um you know that that's below what new york state considers poverty line earnings for a single family household in 2023 so now um the school board said well let's open up their contract negotiations a year ahead of schedule and the outcome of that they did that in september 
And the outcome of that was earlier um, in November, November 7th, they approved, um, you know, an updated, you know, contract with the teaching assistants. There are 10 of them. They are still short about four or five because they couldn't attract and retain them in the district because of the salary issue. But um, now each teaching assistant got a $6,240 raise across the board. And they the board increased the starting salary up to $30,000, which still, you know, on the East End, that's still not going to go very far. Um, and one of the aspects of that is that, um, you know, East Hampton, for instance, East Hampton School District starts their teaching assistance at like 36. So there's still, Springs is, was really far below that competitive mark. They're getting there. They are not done with the contract overall because there's still certain aspects to negotiate, but they, they ironed out the salary uh, situation. And that was a win for the TAs who had been advocating for themselves for months and parents joined in that and the teachers um, joined in that discussion too, to support their teaching assistant colleagues. So that's a win for, you know, the lowest paid employees in the Springs school district and Springs, by the way, is, We've talked about this before. They're fairly cash strapped. They were one of the districts on Long Island in May this year who had to resort to piercing the tax cap. So, you know, they've had to find other ways to, you know, reallocate money. They did. They they pierced the cap. The voters supported it. But, you know, for instance, the superintendent retired early and went to a per diem type position. So now she's not a full-time 12-month employee. Um, you know, she there's there's a savings there. And, you know, um they're they're doing a lot with grant writing and universal pre-kindergarten and you know, trying to really do right by the kids, but also by the the staff and the faculty at the school district. Still thirty thousand dollars a year. I mean. I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you know what a starting wage is for, for a teacher? And and I know it's kind of apples and oranges because, you know, teachers, uh, you're required to have certain educational benchmarks and, and certificates and certifications and, think, and all that. I but. think it's somewhere. And it depends on if you've done your student teaching. It depends on if you've done, if you have your multiple certifications. Because I know a lot of, um, I did a story late last year saying that, um, you know, to become competitive in a really tight market for the teaching teachers, um, a lot more entry level teachers were getting multiple certifications in order, order to make themselves look more attractive to the school districts that they want to, you know, work for. But um, I think it's somewhere around 52, mm. 52,000 plus benefits. The teacher's assistants are also eligible if they go back to school. Um, they're eligible for $200 per credit reimbursement from the district. Um, and they also, you don't need a, a bachelor's degree to become a teacher's assistant. So it's sort of like a leg, you know, like it's a way in to education because a lot of them go back to school then to get full teaching certificates and okay. then they can move up and improve their salaries, you know, and <laughs> um for instance, Suffolk BOCES just got like almost $6 million from New York State to do that, to support teaching assistants, to create like this pipeline, because it's not only Springs that's facing a shortage. There are a lot of positions. Like if you look at the OLAS jobs database, which is um, a BOCES job database for all of New York State and the regional Long Island site, I browse that site every now and then to see what districts are hiring for what positions, you know, um, Eastern Suffolk BOCES has dozens of listings for different types of positions. And, you know, Tuckahoe is looking for permanent substitutes and, you know, Amagansett needs a superintendent and all sorts of positions that are open in East End schools. Um, and Suffolk Bo Eastern Suffolk BOCES is, you know, trying to establish a pipeline to get some of those entry-level professionals in and then support them in their educational journey so like you can get tuition reimbursement for that too at, so, at that point. Do we think that it's inevitable that consolidation is going to be required on the East End? I, I think so at some point. It just seems insane that we've got all of these separate little 
school districts each paying for superintendents and principals and trying to staff programs that are almost identical to districts that yeah. are five miles away, you know? And, you know, you get all these different stories coming out, like Amagansett just paid its former superintendent. They bought out his contract. He was making $233,000 a year. He resigned in October and got a payout, mm-hmm. you know? And, so why did and he that, resign? That, you know, why, well, would, why did he walk away? Well, there there were some issues in that district. And, um, you know, in, in May, I reported that there was a security, uh, some sort of security breach with a parent who um, had been involved in a custody dispute over a child. And he got arrested on the front school, the front lawn of the campus at pickup time. That was a very public incident. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the teachers have had declining morale. Um that they've spoken about openly at the school board meetings. Um, and so there were some, there were some pending issues that were pressuring the superintendent in that district. So now they've got an interim there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, they're one of, I think at least three or four districts on the East end looking for a superintendent at some level. Right. So we got Springs looking, Amagansett looking, Denise is it Riverhead that's looking too. Yes. Um, and these are, you know, Annette has a good point that these are positions that, you know, every school district has, you know, ranging from a part-time superintendent working three days a week in Wainscott up to, you know, the K to 12, pre-K to 12 districts like Sag Harbor and Bridgehampton and Southampton and East Hampton. So like, there's definitely some opportunities and precedent for sharing those positions too. I believe on the North Fork, right? Didn't like South, Greenport, South and Greenport and Southfield and Greenport shared a superintendent at one point. Um, and business officials are another, you know, commodity in terms of high paid, but hard to find jobs. I mean, some of the districts are turning to financial consultants, like consulting firms in order to help develop their budgets and manage their finances. Because out here, like Springs went through three business officials like within a couple of years who didn't want to stay, they stayed for a couple of months, got some experience and left, you know, like it's, well, it's the commute, it's the pressure of the job. It's, you know, it's, a lot it's, of different the, things. it's the traffic and the cost the traffic, of housing yeah. has a lot mm-hmm. to do, I think with, with school districts, um, particularly on the South fork that, that just can't retain administrators or, or, or teachers. You know, that Amagansett school superintendent position comes with a house, it comes with housing. Wow. Yeah. There's they, the district owns a house like down the block from the school. I think Tuckahoe did something similar to, I don't know if they still have um, a house, but they had a house for, for a superintendent for a while. Reminds me of the old days of parochial school where you'd get the nuns to teach and they live in the convent, you know? What did they get paid? <laughs> I don't think, I think that their reward comes in a little bit later on. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I think that we've we've talked about consolidation, you know, a lot, and and I think it's an, an intriguing proposal. Mm-hmm. But I think if you if you create I, devil's advocate, if you create this 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 huge monstrosity of an administration of a district, um, I, I don't know that you're gonna you're gonna have a, a less number of superintendents because then all of a sudden you have you know you have a commissioner or, or whatever the structure is, but then 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 you have assistant superintendents and you know and and it, it seems that um you know the education systems find a way to you know to to you know to have a lot of administrators and and you know probably rightly so but i i don't know where all the the cost savings would would come from it's an interesting debate to have I would think you know, there are I, larger districts to our west that should be looked at too because a lot of those districts on Long Island are the size of all of our districts combined into, but they're in only one district. So I don't know if anyone's looked at the power structure. Of- well, we had, we had covered um, Eastport South Manor for, for a while when we had a Brookhaven paper and, and that's a, a very large district, but you know, they had a superintendent and then they had four five or six assistant superintendents but I mean, the the administrative work still needs to be done yeah, but i don't um, think they're going to be paying the same amount that they're paying for each of the 
a superintendent making $230,000 for a school that doesn't even go all the way to sixth grade. You know, that's uh, it of, goes to sixth grade, but okay. Go sixth to grade. I'll give them. Some, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's my, know. and I've worked in, you know, there are other models and in, in other States, you know, in other cities, there are paid school boards that are elected positions, paid positions that manage a, an entire city. Like I worked at the Williamsburg James city paper in Virginia for a few years. And they have one city school district with like 17 schools covering the entire city and county of Williamsburg and James City. And, you know, one superintendent, a couple of assistants, a principal for each building. And, you know, especially in New York State, like the the one of the buzzwords that you get from talking to school administrators is unfunded mandates. Right. Where somebody's then got to process this paperwork and administer this program that the state isn't providing money for, but they're requiring of districts. So like Bill's to Bill's point, somebody's got to do that paperwork. Somebody has got to oversee those programs. And there aren't, you know, I mean, the state's been really good about universal pre-kindergarten grants, and now they're going to offer some funding for that um, electric school bus mandate that they put out earlier this year. That's going to kill um, everybody. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a changing it's a changing field. There's graduation requirements we can talk about. Like education is changing. Um, I, right and now. I think to your point, I mean, there, there are good models for shared services, too, that that that's where a lot of those mandates come in that, you know, the district has to, you know, ha- have this or go through certain, you know, uh, approved contracts for um for services and supplies and and that type of thing that if you could if you could share those costs then it brings costs down for for everybody it's an interesting debate a good example of that is how sag harbor school district manages transportation for wayne scott and sagaponic so those two districts you know one of the local providers went you know decided not to do busing anymore and got out of the busing business and you know so that provider had been servicing Wayne Scott and Sagaponic and now Sag Harbor is the provider. So they're just kind of like a bus company that they contract for, for two tiny districts here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just another example of what you're talking about, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I think it's a conversation that, that um, we'll continue to have. I, I think, um, you know, we, we've talked about it before too, um, when you, you're talking about small school districts and you're talking about small fire districts um, and ambulance groups, and you can have the same conversation, there, there is a, a sense of ownership, though, in in the community for um, you know for those for those districts that community members um, don't necessarily want to want to give up because it, it's a it's an an ownership thing and it's a pride thing and and, and it's a community thing. Um, and and I think, you know, and that's made the point before, too. It, it's also a, a financial thing when you've got some of these small school districts with, um, you know, with with low property taxes, too. But but I think there's an emotional element, too, that that comes into play that that gets in the way when you start to talk about um, consolidation. Yeah, I mean, that's going on on the North Fork right now in New Suffolk. Um, they're talking about putting a referendum up to become a non-instructional school district in may uh and basically just pay pay another district to educate their students yeah but it would still be a district that doesn't educate anybody which is a very rare thing um and there's no guarantee that they'll be able to go through with it but there are a couple schools upstate that that do that but a lot of that comes down to the you know a lot of the local residents don't want to see the property taxing structure change and they don't want to lose their little red schoolhouse so um we're going to see what happens with that. I think it's also interesting because you have a lot of, I guess, at the in general, the school population is dropping too, um, which is kind of a larger world thing that's going on. It's kind of interesting. And yeah. in, it goes district by district. Like, for instance, East Hampton School District enrollment is dropping, but Springs is slowly creeping up, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of inter-district, you know, migration, like somebody might lose their housing in East Hampton and move into Springs. Mm-hmm. They go to the same high school, but who's now responsible for that tuition, you know, it's different, right. you know, there's, there's financial impacts of that structure. Does, does that have to do with where it's more affordable to live in, in Springs? So you get more, 
a more influx there or is it? Um... I mean, that's what the school administrators say. I don't know that, um, you know, there's tangible differences, but there's certainly different, you know, areas different demographics, of different areas. Historically, that was the case. But I mean, yeah, yeah, historically, I don't know. I mean, maybe people, you know, are desperate and are living with their relatives. Who knows? There's all sorts of, you know, living situations and housing insecurity is considered like there is a level of housing insecurity that um, is doubled up. Have you heard of that term, the doubled up housing, yep. where like a family might be living with an extended family member? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some of that might have to do with the immigration immigrant population as, mm-hmm. as well, I would I would think. You know, I was speaking to um, in that boat right now. Every, everybody who who's just struggling to find housing out here is in that boat. And there are a lot of these issues that have to kind of like move together, move forward together. And that's one of them. Okay. Well, at least Springs has, um, has, uh, made a, made a, a, an effort anyway, with the, with Mm -hmm. the teaching assistants, hopefully that allows them to fill some of those vacancies as, as well. Yeah. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. My co-host is Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Our panelists this week, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star. Um, Denise, let's um, let's talk about Riverhead politics uh, for a minute, our, our favorite topic. There was, um, you, you had a story this week regarding the Riverhead Science Center, which um, bought the old uh, Sweezy's property um, and is expected to be part of the town square there, but there's some um, some um, kickback from from the town supervisor. If I get that right, or well, it seems so. Um, there's been some uh, muttering and talking about the science center. It's been sort of less than complimentary um, over the past year or two even. Um, but um, the organization is called the Long Island Science Center, and um, it's been pretty much based in downtown Riverhead for more or less, I think, about 30 years now. Um, they sold a building um, on West Main Street where um, the Pecana Crossing apartment building is today. Um, that took in part of, uh, well, the, the Science Center's building was part of uh, that apartment building now. Um, they tore it down and, and built that new building. And the Science Center bought um, a site, um, that, well, a building on East Main Street where Squeezie's department store used to be located. Um, one of Squeezie's department store buildings. Um, and um, the town then bought um, two adjacent buildings and um, demolished them to make way for the town square on East Main Street, just like right across from the Suffolk Theater. Um, the Science Center um, did was recommended by, well, you know, rewind, the town of Riverhead got this $10 million grant award from the Downtown Revitalization Initiative uh, Program of the New York State Department of State. And um, the, the process uh, was involved the creation of this, what they call the local planning committee. And um, that committee was tasked with, you know, tasked by the state with making uh, recommendations for who should get how much of that $10 million um, pie, essentially, uh, less some expensive. So I think it was like 9.7 million that was to be distributed. And the planning committee recommended um, the Science Center for a $1 million grant award but um, the state did not make that award. They left the science center out of it. And um, that was, uh, you know, acknowledged to be a setback for the science center. Did the state um, say why? um, No, they really didn't. Um, uh, You know, I mean, some comments have been made by some local officials that, you know, I don't, that the science center disputes about the science center's ability to um, carry through with this okay. project because it's a you know it's a multi million dollar project but they have gotten some grants most recently they got a million dollar grant uh, from the county 
to do it. So, um, but the state has, uh, you know, for whatever reason, did not include them in this award. Um, and so now the town has kind of been like, well, you know, what's going on? How are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Because, you know, this big brick wall on one side of the um, of the town square um, and the town uh, in the interim named a master developer for the town square in the person of um, Joe Petroselli, who's a principal in the aquarium businesses downtown. Right. And a developer. And just just to just to back up, I mean, for 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 the listeners who are, are unaware, can you just describe the whole town square um, vision a little bit? Um, it's pretty involved. I mean, there's this green space on Main Street now. Um, it's not I, I don't know the area of it. It's not really all that big, but um, it was to connect visually and otherwise um, uh, connect Main Street with the river. Um, and um, the town square idea involves um, doing some things there, still up in the air, kind of. Um, and they appointed this master developer to kind of do that. And then, and then um, south of the of this green space, in what's currently a parking area, um, other things like an amphitheater. Um, a playground that's uh, accessible to children with um, different abilities. Uh, it's like a, an accessible playground and park. Um, and, you know, some other like splash pads and things like that um, to make it a, um, you know, kind of a friend, family friendly attraction along the riverfront. And also the way it's supposed to get built up would be uh, literally to build it up so that it's, um, sort of resistant to rising um, water levels and flooding that we've seen, you know, it seems increasingly and more frequently um, downtown. So um, that's all contingent on this master developer moving forward. And all of it is also contingent on the town providing other parking because, you know, eliminating the parking lot on the river, it's like, you know, major parking for downtown. Right. So the town's got this plan to build a structure, a parking structure in the parking lot on the north side of Main Street. Um, and um, look, over 500 parking spaces, they're planning to build in this multi-story parking uh, building, parking facility. Um, would, and would, would people who live in the Summerwind still be able to park near where they live or would they have to? No, I'm, I'm not sure that that area of the parking lot would be affected by this, but, okay. um, you know, but between the additional residential uses and um, the master developer has said he's planning to build um, a, a boutique uh, hotel on the, uh, on the other side of the town square, there's a building there that the town still owns the town purchased and, ha and has retained ownership of. And there's some, negotiation in the works apparently to uh, convey that building to Mr. Petroselli and um, he's planning to I think raise it take it down and and build this uh, boutique hotel which recently he said might also include condominiums um, but in addition to uh, the hotel rooms but that's going to require parking um, and so you know there's a lot of parking needs that everybody recognizes so they're talking about building this garage. So getting the money for that um, is no small task because it's a multi-million dollar uh, project. Um, they've got they've gotten some grants to help fund that, but they've got a ways to go. And um, different developers like Mr. Petroselli and apparently another developer that's eyeing doing another hotel on Main Street um, have been in discussions with the town about helping to fund the, the parking garage. Um, but the town principally is looking for funding through a federal um, Department of Transportation grant that's called a RAISE grant. And don't ask me what the acronym stands for off the top of my head right now. I don't know. But um, I don't remember. The um, Is it R-A-I-S-E or R-A-I-S-E? R-A-I-S-E, not R-A-Z-E, right? <laughs> Um, okay. But the town is, but the town is has tried to get that grant, um, and they were looking, I think, for like twenty million dollars from that because um, it'll do flood mitigation and all that other stuff. So, but but 
they've tr- they've applied for that and haven't gotten it for like four years in a row. So they're going to try again. Um, so the, all of these things is like the domino effect and how this all comes back to the science center is because the plan was for the science center to build an ent- its entrance to this science museum facility on the town, like on the town square, on the green right. space. And that would be, you know, and they're like, well, there's it, it, this whole thing is up, still up in the air. And there's not too much that we can do until it's all gets sorted out. So it's like, again, all these dominoes. Um, so uh, anyway, um, the town supervisor this week admitted to our reporter, Alec Lewis, that um, a mysterious authorization for an appraisal a property appraisal, which the town board authorized early at that first meeting in November, um, she's, she admitted that that was an appraisal for of the Science Center property, because I say mysterious, because they wouldn't say what property they were paying $7,500 to get appraised. Hmm. Um, and um, she acknowledged that it was for the Science Center property and said, that the town is considering initiating an eminent domain procedure, which is where the municipality takes ownership of privately owned property, whether the whether or not the property owner wants to sell it. And the town board members had said, well, we're not, we can't disclose what property we're getting appraised because of potential litigation. And which kind of sounded kind of weird, like, you know, what property, what litigation, but nobody would say anything. But this makes sense because eminent domain essentially requires litigation. The way that works is, you know, you get an appraisal, you you, pro- you get more than one appraisal and you um, establish, you know, what you say is fair market value. And you go to a court and ask the court to convey, you know, all, order the the deed the, the be sale, turned, yeah. turned over to you. Um, has, has she did did she did she tell Alec what what they want to do with this property if if they acquire it? No, and I mean typically it 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 involves flipping the property. It's got to be some public purpose, right? And it, right. that could involve flipping the property to a, a private developer who, who will do something with it. So Am I, I crazy in my mind? Wouldn't like an educational science facility be a public resource? Not Am I like. Well, I mean, that's the right word, Denise Hampton. (laughs) It would also be, I mean, something that would draw a lot of people. I mean, it draws a lot of people. I mean, you know, it always has. Especially when you've got the aquarium right there and you've got exactly other other institutions. You know, when they first announced that they were buying this building, the Science Center announced it was buying this building, it was a press release at its, you know, temporary lodging uh, in the Summer Wind building on Peconic Avenue at the time. And, um, you know, it was much heralded and welcome. They were, you know, the supervisor and town board members and Senate, then Senator Laval and then assembly person, uh, assembly member Palumbo and all kinds of people came for this, you know, and Yvette Aguiar, the town supervisor, this was shortly after she took office, um, said, said this was like a heart transplant for downtown. So everybody yeah. was like, woohoo. Um, so- so, so now it's a minute. I'm going to have to cut you off. We're yeah. we're, we're out of time. It's a, a bit of a mystery. We'll certainly, yeah, we'll certainly um, follow up on on that. Um, this has been always fun in Riverhead. This has been behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. Um, co-host uh, Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Panelist Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. Beth Young from the East End Beacon and Chrissy Sampson from the East End Star. Thank you so much, guys, um, for, for coming on the show. It's been been terrific, and we'll, uh, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>